I'm going to read again uh, the verses of the story that we've already heard this morning and that really is the center of our attention this morning. The story about Jesus as a baby, the story about angels and shepherds. In those days, the days when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus, that is the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And... There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today. In the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared uh, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the angels said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen, which were just as they'd been told. There's an opportunity for us this morning, like Mary, to treasure up these things and to ponder them in our hearts. And my hope is that in these few minutes, as I have the opportunity to to comment, really, on this story, that God will help us to ponder and to see more in this familiar story than we've seen before. Um, Just as we get going, I don't know if this is going to... Oh, it is working now. Great. Does anyone know what... what, This is called a holding cross. One of a... um, It's a a cross that you... That is designed to be nice to hold in your hand 
uh, when you're praying and to help you feel uh, this kind of connection with the Christ who died on the cross to whom, of course, we're, we're praying. Um, the reason I've put this picture here is to prompt me to tell you a story, which is a story from the wonderful town of Bicester, soon to become a garden city. Yeah, hey. Um, Many of you will know Keith and Eileen Elmit, who are currently in uh, Bicester. They're there this this morning. And from them, we've heard a great story that's come back of what God's doing at work in the town of Bicester. There's a guy called Richie in the church who became a Christian uh, a few years ago and on being baptized was given one of these holding crosses by an older man in the church called Ian. And this holding cross became precious to Ian. He's used it in his praying. He'll keep it in his pocket. It's on the dashboard of his car as he drives around on his desk at work. It's become precious to him. And one day at work, he felt the Holy Spirit speak to him, nudge him to give that cross to one of his colleagues. I understand that his initial response was, no, it's mine. (laughs) Uh, But nonetheless, that prompting of the Holy Spirit prevailed and he gave this cross away to um, to his colleague his colleague took it home to his wife his wife it turned out was more than nine months pregnant she was past her due date and the baby that she was carrying had stopped moving and they were worried and fearful of what was to come Um, not knowing quite what one does with a holding cross, the husband placed it on his wife's stomach, at which point the baby started kicking. And the cross moved, and somewhat in surprise, he grabbed it back off, wondering what was going on, at which point her waters broke. And the baby was born healthily. And uh, I thank God for his involvement in the life of people. Uh, God loves babies, that's for sure. And he puts that in the hearts of us too, to love babies. I noticed that baby Jesus nearly disappeared uh, before we got started this morning because there was a little girl, Anna, uh, decided that she loved baby Jesus enough to want to take him away and cuddle him. There's something about babies that's just wonderful. God loves babies. It's great to have a story of God saving the life of a baby even before that baby was born. Um, It's lovely. Uh, It's amazing, actually. The Christmas story is both lovely and amazing. Uh, It's so lovely that you can make little felt people to remind you of it. Um, The biggest objections, at least in the Western world, to religion are the fact of suffering And the way that religion stokes conflict, those things come out way above everything else as reasons to object to religion. That it causes problems and it doesn't explain suffering. So what does Christmas have to say about that? Well, there's something really significant right at the start of this reading. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go back And let us hear the words of the story again. In Luke's gospel, the story of Jesus being born actually begins with a statement about the violence and suffering in the world. 
I don't know whether you spotted it, but it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, we can ignore that or pass over it quickly, thinking that's just part of the kind of introductory ramble. But it's really significant. Uh, It's a statement about the world into which Jesus was born. It reminds us that it was a time of violence, of military oppression, of the subjugation of peoples before the sword. There's nothing new under the sun, the book of Ecclesiastes says in the Old Testament. Whatever violence we see today has been seen again and again throughout human history, and it was present in the age in which Jesus was born. This is a statue of Caesar Augustus. He's seen by many as the greatest Roman emperor. He was given the title Augustus a few years after becoming emperor. Augustus means the elevated one. It was a title that had previously only been given to gods. He ushered in what became known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, a period of relative tranquility and freedom from conflict that lasted for several hundred years. He did that by defeating another Roman general, Mark Antony, in a battle at Actium, and then forming a military junta. He got the remaining generals together and persuaded them that they would have more uh, power if they held together than if they continued to fight each other. He achieved peace through battle and through political conniving. An agreement with a cohort of powerful men that their lives would be better if they collaborated in continuing to subjugate other peoples. And so they did. In the time of Caesar Augustus' reign, they managed to take control, one way or another, of Egypt, which the Romans had not conquered before, of northern Spain, of the area now called Morocco, of Galicia in the in the middle of what is now Turkey, of Dalmatia, of Western Germany, of the Crimea. They went on subjugating people. The peace that they gained was achieved and maintained by force of arms. The Romans regarded peace not so much as the absence of war, but that rare situation that existed when, at least for the moment, all of your opponents had been beaten down to the point where they, to the point where they lost the ability to resist. That's the kind of peace it was. It's the kind of peace that many people around the world think is the best that can be hoped for in Afghanistan, in the Middle East, that someone would be strong enough to suppress and oppress everyone else into submission. And that's why there was a census. The census was all about maintaining Rome's military might. In most parts of the empire, the purpose of the census was twofold. 
It was to name all of the men so that when there was a need for more soldiers, you knew who you could call upon and conscript forcibly more men into the Roman army. And it was also about being able to know the entire population so that you could tax them in order to gain money, in order to supply Rome's military might. So we can read that little verse, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, all good, the Christmas story's starting. But in the midst of all of that, what that's all about is violence, oppression, and the subjugation of peoples. A peace, so-called, but a peace achieved by violent means. And whilst there's nothing new under the sun, that is indeed true, there are new things that come from above the sun, as it were. There are new things that are revealed from heaven that have never been known before in human history. And in Jesus, that's what we see, something genuinely new happening in human history. The angels come and they say some things that are direct contradictions to Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the lord of the Roman Empire. He wasn't given that specific title. He was given plenty of others that made it clear that he was in charge of all that took place in the Roman world. And the angels come along and say, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. King Herod, as we know from Matthew's gospel, saw this as a threat to his kingship, his puppet kingship in Judea. But here in Luke's gospel, we have a grander statement being made. Jesus wasn't only a threat to local politicians. Jesus was on a par with the Roman emperor, actually was greater than the Roman emperor. An alternative kind of king, an alternative kingdom. So what kind of alternative and what does it say for us today? Well, firstly, the peace that comes through this king, Christ the Lord, is not an achi- a peace achieved through violence. There have been other religious leaders who led armies. King David led an army. Moses commanded the people of Israel in battle. Muhammad commanded an army. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, not on a war horse. When people were expecting to make him king, he made a deliberate statement about being a non-military figure. When he was arrested, he didn't resist. When his followers pulled out a sword, he rebuked them. And where an enemy had been injured in the fray, he took the time to heal that enemy. He said that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He didn't bring peace through force of arms. He brought peace when he was on the earth, and he brings peace today through forgiveness and through reconciliation. It's a completely different way of achieving the goal of peace. Even when he was being crucified, he prayed, Father, forgive them. And he helps us today 
to forgive those who have offended us, to forgive those who have hurt us. Hope for the Middle East, hope for Pakistan and Afghanistan and for all human conflicts is that the grace displayed by Jesus would be something that we could take hold of, that those who have suffered could take hold of, find the grace to forgive those who have hurt them, to love their enemies and to break the cycle of violence that would otherwise continue forever. It's seen that religion sparks conflict. Well, it's not fair for us as Christians to point just at other religions and say other religions spark conflict, but Christians always do the right thing. We know that's not true. But what we do find in the message of Jesus is an answer to violence, an answer to conflict, which is unique which is stronger and more powerful than that found in other religious messages. There's no other religion whose God was willing to die in order to do other people good. So Jesus is a king whose kingdom comes with peace, brought about by forgiveness and reconciliation. With the shepherds, we see something else going on that contrasts with the Roman pattern. The Romans conquered new peoples by military force. The shepherds were unwanted people. They were the unskilled migrant workers of their day, living outside on the edge of society moving around from place to place as their flocks required pasture, never really belonging in one place, always suspected of causing mischief, always on the outside. And it's to those people whom the angels appear and invite them to come right into the centre of the new kingdom that is being created. Where the Romans oppressed people, the angels impressed these shepherds. They weren't required to be involved and to come in, but they were inspired to travel to Bethlehem. And it wasn't through fighting that they were brought in, but through them being invited in. And the phrase that comes up again and again and again in this passage is the phrase or the word glory. Our children ran across here this morning shouting, glory, glory. It's there in the passage. As the angels appear, the glory of the Lord shines around them. They sing glory to God in the highest. The shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying God. It wasn't like the glory of Rome. The glory of Rome was seen in military processions. Something like, you know, the Red Army parades through Red Square in front of the Kremlin from time to time with all of its tanks and its, uh, its massed ranks of infantry and its aircraft, uh, anti-aircraft weapons and all the rest of it. Look at how glorious Russia is and other nations do similar sorts of things. That's what Rome did too, the glory of military processions. But here in this story, we have God's glory all around a newborn baby. 
And the Christmas story that we read, it's not a story fixed in history that we just look back to. It's not the end of a story. The story is not just a recollection of ancient events. It's a story that can connect with our experience now. In his later writing, Luke goes on to tell us about another man's experience. In the book of Acts, he writes about a man called Saul, later called Paul, who became Saint Paul, who was on the road to Damascus when something happened to him. And when Paul described that, it's written for us in Acts chapter 22 and verse 11. He says, I was blinded by the glory of the light. He had an encounter of his own with the risen Lord Jesus. And he says, I was blinded by the glory. What he experienced was a revelation of the glory of God, just like the shepherds had had. The shepherd's experience wasn't just one moment in history, but Saul, who became Paul, had a similar experience of the glory of God coming to him, impacting him, and changing his life forever. And that man, Paul, went around telling people all over the known world about his experience, and he came to see that that experience wasn't just unique to him. In the, letter to, the second letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, he wrote this, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He came to see that in proclaiming Christ in one town, city, village after another, many people would have the lights come on for them the light shining in their hearts, giving them their own personal knowledge of God's glory. It's all about Jesus, a completely different way of life, a completely different set of expectations. I want to come back to the shepherds. Well, that's meant Paul. Come back to the shepherds for one moment. I need to thank Dave Monday for a little insight, wherever Dave is. He's in the kitchen. Good. Okay. Um, There's all kinds of contrasts between us and the shepherds. Uh, One of them is that they weren't busy people. They weren't preoccupied and rushing about. The task of watching over sheep is a fairly open-ended task. Bethlehem seems, from the story, to have been a busy place with the census going on and all the people who'd come for it and nowhere to stick a baby except in the manger. The shepherds were out in their fields watching over their flocks. To watch over flocks means that basically you sit around Not even waiting for something to happen, but waiting in case something happens. You don't even know that anything's ever going to happen, but you're waiting anyway, just in case. They were watching over their flocks. And it was to such people that there came a glimpse of Jesus' glory, a glimpse of the glory of heaven. And... My prayer 
for us as a church and for any visitors that we have amongst us this morning is that we would make ourselves available to God this Christmas time. That we wouldn't be so busy that we'd miss him. For some, that might mean allowing yourself to buy some mince pies rather than take time to bake them. Or maybe there's a distant cousin that you just won't quite get round to buying a present for. Or maybe you don't actually need to get duck fat to roast your turkey from the umpteenth supermarket you're chasing. You can get duck or goose fat. Maybe we need to scale back our ambitions of one kind in order to make room for another ambition, which is that this Christmas would be filled with the glory of God and we would be changed. If you've never glimpsed the glory of God before, if you've never seen the face of Christ and had any revelation of just how wonderful that is, then there are some things that you can do. In this little bag that I waved earlier is an expl- a further explanation of what Christmas is about in that booklet, Why Christmas? You could read that. Take time to reflect on it, ponder it, as Mary treasured things up and pondered on it. You could ponder those things this Christmas and see if there might not be a flash of revelation that comes to you. If you're the kind of person that finds it easier to process things talking rather than just reading, then in the new year, when we again are running a course called the Alpha Course, you could join in with that. It's an opportunity week by week to think about who Jesus is, to learn about what it is that he's done and its importance for our lives. We run that here Sunday by Sunday as an alternative to listening to someone speak to everybody from the front here. You can chat about whatever questions you have, learn from other people's experience, and in that way, you could make yourself available to see what you could learn about this Jesus. So I'm going to pray I'm going to pray that we would indeed glimpse the glory of God this Christmas and then we're going to sing a final carol together. So as I'm praying, perhaps the band could come back up. We're going to sing a final carol about this Jesus and then we'll close our time together. But as the band are coming, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that your kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. We thank you that you came in a completely different way to what was expected. And we thank you that your way continues to have the power to transform our lives. Where we were once estranged from you and had never seen your face. For many of us here, you have shown us favor by by causing us to be born again to know you and to love you and to experience the joy and peace that comes in relationship with you lord we thank you we thank you too that that you've given us enough that we can give away thank you that there was money that we could receive in an offering this morning to give away to bless others 
Thank you that you've put it in our hearts to pray for the blessing of others, not just to enjoy your blessings for ourselves. We pray that we'd see more of this glorious kingdom, this glorious way of life lived out in relationship with you, where we've experienced forgiveness for our sin and have the power to forgive others and to set an example that others could follow of forgiveness and peace. Lord, may we be renewed in all of these wonderful things this Christmas through the work of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.